It's really, really good to be with you this morning. It's uh, really a joy for me to be a part of uh, uh, this morning's worship service as we celebrate who Christ is to us and in us and through us. And um, It's been a real joy to be a part of uh, this fellowship through the years and uh, to get a chance to say thank you for your support for uh, my wife Valerie and I and the ministry that we do together. And uh, at the same time, maybe just take a couple of minutes and and give a little something back. Um, and, and so I wanted to just kind of start off today. You know, it's the second Sunday of the year. You know, as far as I'm concerned, that's the hardest Sunday of the year to preach. Because like last Sunday, Michael got to talk about new beginnings and everything. And next Sunday, Pastor Kerry gets to start a brand new series that's going to be really, really, really intriguing and all I have today is to talk to you about how you've already messed up on your New Year's resolutions. And so, um, by the way, how many of you made a New Year's resolution this year? I, I don't have anything else to say. How many of you failed in your New Year's resolutions already and you're just ashamed to say that I made one? You know, the fact of the matter is, we, uh, we, we do make resolutions, and we go through all these different times we want to try to, uh, to get better at what we do and kind of improve ourselves some. And, and as we think about that and do some reflection, especially this time of year, uh, we have this tendency to, uh, to be thinking about all these changes we want to make. I, I noticed the first week of the year that the gym was really, really full, and the second week of the year, it was really, really empty. We, we don't last long at some of the things that we want to we wanna try to improve on. Well, I got to thinking about that more, and, and, it, and I realized that at some point we have to say this because it's, it's reality. We, we live in this broken world where stuff happens. We live in this broken world where Things get difficult to navigate. Uh, we make some really bad choices sometimes. And in the midst of those bad choices, we begin to experience their consequences. Other people make choices that impact us. And somehow the consequences lie on us sometimes. And, you know, we, we, uh, we face things that are out of our control. We, we, we struggle with grief and lostness and, and sometimes the need for direction. And sometimes, and sometimes we have pain and heartache that we just never, ever imagined that we would face. We, we struggle. We, we get that one phone call and the doctor's report changes everything. You, you know, life gets really hard. Sometimes we mess it up and sometimes it just gets messed up. What I want to ask you today is, though, instead of maybe making a New Year's resolution to, to be better, and since you're not resolution-making people, I don't even have to say that, right? But instead, instead of kind of just trying to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and get better, why, why don't we take a moment and, kind of, and, and answer this question first? What, what is it with which you grapple today? What is it that you're, that you're wrestling with? What are those hard pieces? Are, are, are they messes of your own making? 
Are they consequences of someone else's choices? Are they, are they things that are just out of control? Are they things that just happen? You know, life does indeed happen. You know, what, what is it that you kind of brought into this place today that is your chain that's, that's holding you back? Maybe that from which you need to be resurrected. What is it that you brought into this place today that makes you long for something bigger than yourself to do something that you need so that you can be victorious in the face of that with which you struggle? What, 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 are, what, what, are, what are those things for you? Maybe it's one thing, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a whole bucket full, I don't know. But, you know, we, we struggle. Life gets hard. Well, in the midst of that, I find that this passage from Luke chapter 7 speaks to us so clearly about some of the things that, that can be helpful to us as we think about how that we can be not just made a little better, but radically restored to that place where we want to be. Because isn't that what God wants for us? He wants us, he wants us to be rejuvenated, renewed, strengthened, and, and he wants us to walk in this, this radical restoration that demonstrates his capacity to do for us and in us and through us that which we cannot do. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17, what a perfect example uh, of that part of, of, of the gospel. This is uh, from the New International Version, and it says, Soon afterward... Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of a mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the beer, the, the beer that they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Then they were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. There were uh, these three brothers that lived on the family farm with their mom and dad and grandparents. And on the farm there was this pond. And um, it just so happens that the two older brothers were Cub Scouts. And they had been learning all kinds of new uh, first aid kinds of things and they were out by the pond one day, all three of the boys, and, and, and the youngest one fell in the pond, and, and the, the brothers were able to get him out. But, but you know, kind of things deteriorated as far as the older brothers were concerned anyway. And so they, they, they ran back to the house, tears are streaming down their face, and they find their mom, and they say, Mom, Mom, he fell in the pond, but every time we try to give him mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, he, he gets up and walks away. Yeah, it took a minute, right? But, you know... When, when, I, when I think about that little, that little story, it reminds me that there are so many times that God really wants to breathe life into us. He, he wants to restore. He wants to renew. He wants to make alive that which 
seems to have deadened in our lives. He wants to breathe into us, and we have the tendency to just, to just get up and walk away. We, we might even ask him, God help us, God renew us, God restore us, give me victory. And then before we can even engage with him, before he can even do what he wants to do, we're just kind of going on about our business or even trying to fix it ourselves. And what he wants to do, maybe in your life today, when you made your list of things that you're thinking about, is he wants to breathe life into those pieces of your life. Maybe, just maybe, he wants to speak to you and, and to renew you and to, to radically restore you. Not just make you a little bit better, but to, to, to breathe into you in such a way that, that there's a new thing going on in your life. And it's out of your relationship with Jesus. And you know he's the one who is doing it. As I, as I was looking through this passage, there's some pieces of it that just kind of jump off the table at me. And one of the things, one of the things is, is really simply this. God... God's radical love for those who are broken, it's the foundation for our restoration. You know, sometimes when we go to church, we go through all the motions, sometimes we just feel like maybe, maybe he loves some other folks more than us. Um, you know, he knows us so well that we, we, we know he loves us in our head, but in our hearts it's kind of difficult to wrap our, our minds around there was a, a church sign that um, said, um, we care for you. And then the next part of the sign said, Sundays at 10 a.m. only. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that that's not the message from the church. It's not the gospel story. The reality of it is that his compassion for us is that incredible foundation upon which his capacity to radically restore us is based. In the story, as you saw it in, in the first uh, couple of verses of that passage, verses uh, 11 to 13, you, you see that uh, he, he's there in Nain, and as he approaches the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was with her. You know, in, in that particular piece of that story, there's something really pretty moving about it because it, it says that when the Lord saw her, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. As, as you look at that passage of scripture, there are a couple of things that really kind of jump off at you. One of them is very simply this. If anybody might have felt unloved and abandoned, it would have been this mother. Okay, let's, let's try to put that into the cultural context of this passage. First of all, it says in this story that she was a widow, okay? Now, that means uh, several things, but first of all, it means that she's buried a husband already. She is not new to grief. Stuff is now piling up on her. Now she's lost a son. She is broken. She is hurting. She is, has lost. And there's this, there, there's this sense of despair about her. Now her son's gone. Now, it also says that not only was he her son, but he was her only son. Now, what that means for her is that she's now left without a male in her family to provide for her. And in her culture, that meant that she was, re actually, she was in really big trouble. The fact of the matter is 
it would be very difficult for her to survive. In fact, she's kind of reduced to having two choices to, to, to have food on her table, and that is either begging or prostitution. Not two good options at all. So not only is she grieving, but the emotional distress of what's going to happen next is piling up on her. And now, add to that this in this story, as you kind of visualize it, they're walking out of town, they're carrying the son, he's on this beer, which, by the way, is a platform upon which a coffin rested. Um, in her case, probably just the body, because she probably couldn't even afford a coffin. And so they're walking out of the town to the place of burial. Now, in that culture... Grief was something that was loud and demonstrative. And so there's, there's, there are tears and there's, there's weeping and there's, there's screaming and crying. And it's a, it's a boisterous sound, but it's a, it's, it's a sound that would just really get under, uh, get, get under your heart and, and, and make you wonder, what, what, what's happened here? Because they're, 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 they're processing out, she's broken. Now Jesus, on the other hand, is with his disciples. And it says not only his disciples, but there are a lot of other people with him. So he's on his mission. He's going from Capernaum where he just healed a centurion's servant. And now he's made his way past Nain. And he's on to the next place. And they're probably their jaws are sat with determination. And they're going where they're going. But they see this crowd and they stop. And it says when Jesus saw, not the crowd, not the dead son. When Jesus saw the mother, his heart went out to her. And he stopped. But then he says something that seems to me kind of shocking at first. Did you see what he says? He says, don't cry. Now, how, how, how does that happen? You, you, you know, that, if you're in pastoral care 101 and you go to the funeral home and you tell a mom, don't cry. Well, none of us can make those kinds of statements because we don't have the power to remove the cause of her tears. But Jesus did. And so in the midst of that painful story, there's this woman who, among anybody else, has every right to feel that she was abandoned and forsaken. But in the process, Jesus' compassion for her reveals that she is who he says she is. Now, let's fast forward that to where you sit today. He knows your brokenness. He knows the messes that you've made of your own life. He knows your grief. He knows your heartache. He knows your pain. He knows that, that you sometimes bear the, the results of some of the people in your life who mess up. And he knows how hard it is for you to, to be everything that you have to be and all the different ways that you have to be that person that you have to be the mom or the dad or the, the, the employee, the employer. You have, you have to be that church member. The, the pulled and tugged and he knows all that. And his compassion for you is his foundation that makes him want to walk into your life and make an incredible difference. He really does want to radically restore you. Now, out of that comes this, 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 this next piece that is part of the story. So not, not only is that compassion for him the foundation of his capacity to re restore you, but his desire to help, okay, his desire to help, re regardless of how difficult the situation, moves God to act. Now, let's start with the difficult, of the, the, the part of this that says how difficult the situation is. Regardless of that, he can act in your life. Now, this story is, kind of makes it pretty clear, right? There's a dead guy who's no longer dead. 
It doesn't matter how difficult the circumstances. He is able to reach into our lives and do those things that we cannot do for ourselves. Now, in the, in the course of that, as that passage unfolds, what you're seeing is this unstoppable desire uh, for him to work powerfully in our lives. <laughs> Jesus didn't just show up and put his arm around the mom and say, sorry for your loss. He doesn't walk into your life and look it, into your heart and say, I'm really sorry things are rough for you. At least he doesn't do that without finishing the sentence. In this woman's case, he told the son to get up. In your case, <clears throat> he might say, I want to walk with you through that loneliness. I want to forgive you for the mess that you've made. I want to pull you up and give you hope in the despair in which you find yourself mired. I want to minister to your needs. I, I want to give you strength in the midst of your weakness. I know that you're physically um, in, in a bad place, and, I, and I, I want to help you deal with all of those pieces. He says to us in the midst of, uh, uh, of the messes that we make, let's clean it up together. I want to be a part of this. God gets moved to act. See, he doesn't just have compassion for us. For him, compassion is a verb. It's an action word. It's a let's do it word. It's a, it's a let me take this hand and you take that hand and let's, let, and let's go together on this burden. Let's carry it together. In fact, in the, the invitation that Jesus gives in the Gospel of Matthew where he says, you know, that come unto me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He said, take your, I want, I want your burden. In that passage, when he, when he talks about carrying, it's a picture, the, the, uh, in the original language, it's a picture of him taking one side of the burden and us taking the other side of the burden and he picks it up with us and he carries it with us. No longer do we have to do everything we feel like we, we need to do in order to be just a little bit better. Instead, he can radically transform us because his compassion compels him to not leave you hanging. Instead, he wants to move into your life. He wants to, uh, to breathe life into you. And so he, what he wants you to do today is to not, to not get up and walk away, but to bow at his feet and say, I'll take it, God. Breathe on me, oh breath of life. And as we do, he begins to do the most radical restoring we can imagine. Now, there's another piece of that, that, makes it, that, that that's really kind of cool to me. Not only does he, does he say to, to the boy, you know, get up and walk. Not only does he stop, the crowd stops, everybody's watching. But he walks over to the, to the beer, to the coffin, to the platform, and he touches it. Now, to you, that might not seem like a big deal. It certainly doesn't in our culture. But when Jesus touched that beer, when he touched that death, what he did was he ceremonially defiled himself. He made himself unclean. He was willing to go whatever direction he needed to go, to whatever means he, need, he, he needed to go. He spared nothing to restore this life. And he does the same for us. In fact, his father, his father allowed him to pour his blood out on a cross. sealed inside a tomb so that we could be forgiven. And then his father breathed life into his body. Much the same way he wants to bring life, bring, breathe life into your body so that not only was Jesus resurrected, but now you can be radically restored. He touched that coffin. 
I love how the text says, and, and everybody's kind of standing around looking now, like, what's going to happen? Well, what happens next is pretty powerful because in it, God's power to restore changes everything. He speaks to the boy, and he says, uh, hey, get up. Now, if this was today, it might have gone a little bit different. It said, when Jesus speaks to the boy, he says, get up. And the boy sits up on the platform, and he begins to talk. Probably if he was a young man today, he would have gotten up and started texting someone. But the reality of it is, all of a sudden, there was life. He was talking, probably getting hungry, too, if he, if he was like any of the young men that grew up in my house. Give me some food. But here, here's, here's this new life, a restored life that grew out of these circumstances that were so painful and so incredibly difficult to explain. And there he was. You know, uh, there was a, a, a kid who uh, every day on the way to school would encounter this bully. The bully was bigger than he was. And so every, every day the bully would, 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 would find him on his way to school and he would take his lunch money. Totally unrelated to anything. Were you the bully or were you the kid that take, got the lunch money taken? If you were the one that got the lunch money taken, you might really kind of relate to this a little more. The bully would take his lunch money until finally the kid got so tired of it that he signed up for karate lessons. And he went to his first two karate lessons, and then he realized that the karate teacher was charging him 10 bucks a lesson, so he decided it was cheaper to pay the bully. See, that's just getting up and walking away when Jesus is trying to breathe life into you, if you can make that connection. Today, I think it's the perfect day for us to quit paying the bully, to quit getting up and walking away, but to cry out to him as he passes by. Because as you sit where you sit, in the same way that he saw this woman, he sees you. And his heart goes out to you. His compassion is the foundation for what he wants to do in your life. That compassion moves, moves, moves him to act. He's not going to just put his arm around your shoulder and say, I hope it gets okay. He's God. And he can do what you could never think or imagine. And he wants to do that even maybe in this place, in this moment, in someone's life. Here's what I really love the most about this story. In this story, Jesus restores two lives, not just one. He didn't just raise this boy from the dead and give him new life. Clearly, he was radically restored, right? No doubt about it. But go back to the mom. Here she was, as we said earlier, in, in this place of despair, the grief is mounting. She's lost in her life. Her financial security, her social security, her capacity to, to, to kind of go on in life with any sense that things were going to be okay is gone because she doesn't have this provision in her life anymore. But look at verse 15. The dead man sat up and began to talk. 
and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And now two lives are restored. He is physically alive. And she's been touched by the king. He's up and running again. And her needs are met. He is healed and she is whole. He has a future and now she has hope. God worked something remarkable. It's way better than a New Year's resolution. It's a radically transformed set of lives that remind us that we can also be radically restored. Can, can I ask you if you would today be willing to not get up and walk away when God wants to breathe life into you? Would you kind of sit in his presence for a moment and ask him to breathe life into you? In the same way that he spoke a word of resurrection to this young man. And in the same way that he resurrected the life of this woman. Would you let him do that in your life? See, because... He's not just a great teacher. He's not just the founder of one of the great religions of the world. Jesus is God in the flesh. The word that dwelt among us. And we behold his glory. Honestly, he's the resurrected king. And here's the cool thing. That resurrected king can be the one who is resurrecting you. So all across this room, he sees you. His heart goes out to you. You know, we, let's be honest, we all need him to do in our lives that which we cannot do for ourselves. Would, would you let him, hey, quit paying the bully, taking the, the, the route that says, I, if I just get by, I'll be okay. Don't be enslaved to your mediocrity, to your sin, to your hopelessness, to your despair, your discouragement. Let him break that chain and restore you in powerful ways. That resurrected king is in this place. No, literally, he's here. He's in this place. And what he really wants to do is to be about the business resurrecting us so breathe oh breath of life so let's pray together oh, father what a profound truth that you are able to do in our lives that which is far beyond anything that, that we could ever think or ask. Across this room, Lord, there may be some people who are dealing with sin in their lives. Breathe the
the breath of forgiveness on him. Perhaps despair, hopelessness, grief, stuff out of control, out of our own control. What, Lord, we, we face so much because we live, we live these lives that are so challenging. Would you be our resurrecting king, the one resurrecting us as we worship together in this place? May each one of us have the courage to hear your voice and to, to, to not get up and walk away, but to let you breathe life into us. Thank you for seeing us in the midst of our need. In the strong name of Jesus.